series. And um, there, uh, Wick has a wonderful word in season for us. And um, Wick and Jan, would you guys both stand? We just want to welcome you guys. We're so glad that you're here. Maybe some of you do not know, but Wick and Jan are, are some of the OG Christ Center peeps, and uh, they are also our outside elders. So as a part of our governing structure, um, they actually, if it, if it ever came down to it, which it won't, but if it did, that I decided that the Lord wanted us all to drink the Kool-Aid, and the elders were like, that ain't happening, and I pulled the man of God card. The way it's set up is then they would call Wick and Jan, and they would come in and decide the matter and uh, whatever they went with, Kool-Aid, right, uh, is the direction that we would go. So there may be a meeting afterwards with these kind of jokes. At any rate, but uh, no, these guys are wonderful, and they constantly uh, pray with us. They receive all of our elders' minutes and continue to pray. But we're just so excited to have them here. Would you extend your hand? I want to pray as we begin to receive the word. Father, we thank you for Wick, Lord, and we know that you've given him a wonderful word and season for us. Lord, we ask, first of all, that you would prepare our hearts to receive from you by your Holy Spirit through the scriptures and through this proclamation of your kingdom in action and in motion. And Lord, we ask that you would anoint Wick with your Holy Spirit. Lord, he's already prepared. You've already been directing him. But we ask, Lord, that your joy would be his strength. And Lord, as he speaks, that you would confirm it with power, Lord, that you would confirm it with signs and wonders, the greatest of which is a transformed life given unto service and love that we would extend your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. It's always good to be here at Christ Center. <clears throat> and uh, uh, Jan and I have served in missions for 46 years. Wow. Jan was only three when we joined. And so uh, it's so good to be here. Uh, you guys, Christ Center is our home. It's our home church. Uh, when we went into missions, uh, both of our denomination decided, both churches, mine and Jan's, decided if we were not going to serve with our denomination, that they blessed us as we left. And uh, a short time later, uh, Christ Center opened their arms and their hearts to us and said, can we be your home church? And we said, absolutely, we're grateful. And uh, for many, many years, Christ Center has been our home church. When we land home, this is where we land. And I'm so grateful for that. And we love your hearts. We love this place. Uh, as Joshua said, we lead a, a ministry and we founded a ministry called Streams of Mercy. Uh, one hard of hearing guy asked me why we would name our ministry Screams of Mercy, and I assured him that was not our name, although there are times we do. Uh, but it's, uh, it's an amazing opportunity for us to change the lives of orphans around the world, and Christ Center has partnered with us in caring for orphans. And uh, I wanna, just want to show you a picture here of uh, your kids at Rancho Los Amigos. And these are the kids that you support every month through your giving in Juarez, Mexico. And thank you guys. Amen. <clears throat> and uh, 
every time I talk about one of my orphanages, I think to myself, this is my favorite. And so this is my favorite orphanage uh, right now. And uh, I, I do love them. And so I just want to highlight a couple of the kids because you look at the group and you say, wow, what a great looking group. But I want to talk about two of the kids. This is Marissa. And I met Marissa about three years ago when she first came into the orphanage. She had been in the orphanage just about three weeks when we arrived and Streams of Mercy was doing a Christmas project with that home and we raised the money and there were 40 kids in the home. We raised the money for every child to have a new shirt, new pair of jeans. We boxed it up and we, we paid for a lavish meal for them and it was a tremendous time and little Marissa walked up and they whispered to me, she's only been here three weeks but she has never had a gift ever in her life. And so we handed Marissa her gifts for Christmas, and she burst into tears and started sobbing. And I thought, God, what an incredible thing. She didn't know what was going on. She had been taken away from her family because of severe neglect. And a lot of the kids that you saw up there have been rescued from horrific home situations and placed into Rancho Los Amigos. You guys, they are finding love and care, and they are finding Jesus because uh, a church in uh, Junction City, Oregon, has said, we want to support orphans and children at risk. And so thank you guys from the bottom of our hearts. The second uh, child is uh, a young uh, man, Pablo. Pablo also was taken from his parents. He is about 15 years old right now, but he came in when he was about eight or nine years of age. Uh, a fa he was rescued from a family, again, with severe neglect. He is bright, he is funny, he is articulate, he is well-educated, and he loves Jesus. And this is happening over and over in the lives of these kids. And you guys, what a joy to be able to partner with uh, churches, but to be able to partner with my home church in the care of orphans, and I just want to thank you. And then finally, on my thanks list, uh, Jan and I want to thank you, our largest supporting church in our ministry and caring for orphans around the world is Christ Center. And I want to thank you guys. You support us heavily. And because of your support, uh, we don't get a salary from Streams of Mercy. Uh, we are supported missionaries. Because of your support, we can do this. We can reach and care for 5,000 orphans and children at risk in our orphanages, our homes. We have uh, schools across the globe and uh, medical clinics where we provide free medical care. And all of that is possible for us because a group in a little town in Oregon, in Junction City, said, we want to support you as you care for orphans around the world. 5,000 kids in 13 nations, uh, uh, it's in 31 homes because of your care for us. And thank you so much.
I was just in Uganda in February, and I had been in Uganda in October. Now, I don't usually put my Africa trips so close, but I had two different groups that wanted to go. So uh, business people in February, it was wonderful to go with them. But I really had a blast in October because in October, a group of Norwegian Viking women called me, let your imagination run wilds. Brunhilda called, no, it wasn't her name and said, Wick, we want to support African orphans. They had already traveled with us to India, and joining in with us, they came to us after several trips and said, can we start a Norwegian branch of Streams of Mercy? I said, yes. And so they came and they started supporting uh, orphanages that we support in India. Right now, as we are sitting here today, we support 11 orphanages in India alone. And they came with us and they said, can we support orphanages? Yes. And so they began supporting three of our orphanages. And then they found two of their own that they support, five orphanages that these incredible, mighty women of God support. And they said, we want to support African orphans. They went with us in October. And what an amazing trip to have all of these Norwegian businesswomen with us. And we traveled across Uganda to minister to a lot of kids. And I was so grateful for that ministry. And they called me a little later and said, you know, the words streams of mercy don't translate very well. They said, can we call our ministry hearts of mercy? And I'm wondering, why are you calling me about this? But I said, yes, call it hearts of mercy. And so today, hearts of mercy is sharing and caring for uh, orphans in India and Africa, and only because they came along with us and God grabbed their hearts. And I'm so grateful for that. <clears throat> I want to show you a picture of a building. Uh, this building is in the process right now. They just finished the third story of a two-story building that I committed to build. Three weeks ago, they sent me a picture, and I saw this. Uh, this was the picture they sent me three weeks ago. And I called them up, and I said, I committed to build a building with two stories. And they said, yes, but the government said we had to have three, so we're just going up. <laughs> and I said, I don't have any more money. And they said, but we have gods. And we said, okay. But uh, if you promise not to tell them I'll give you a secret. God gave us extra money. And this building is going to be paid for all three stories by the faithfulness of God. Amen. We serve an amazing God. He has an incredible heart for the poor and needy and orphans and widows. And I want to share a message this morning to you entitled, Lift Up Your Eyes. For a very long time, God has stirred my heart, many years, God stirred my heart that I was to live my life desperate for him. And I, I've got to tell you, that has been our story 
for many years. We've been desperate for God. We continually, in our labor in the area and the realm of orphans, we continually look to God and we cry out to God. And Jan and I pray together and we seek God together for the cause of orphans. And it's something that we, uh, we wake up in the morning, uh, and I've said we either wake up excited with what God's going to do that day or terrified with what we may face. And on any given day, we never know which way we're going to wake up. Whether it's excited, we're looking to God because God's going to do it. If we're terrified, we look to God because we're desperate and only he can do it. And that's a great way to live, you guys. It's a wonderful place uh, to live. And there are three things that I want to, three times I want us to look at, times in which we are to lift our eyes to God. And the first one is in times of blessing and answered prayer. We often receive blessings from God, but we do not often go back to God and look to him and say, thank you for your faithfulness. Gratitude is always in style. Gratitude is always appropriate. We need to live grateful lives. We need to live lives that honor him for the amazing things that he does in our hearts and lives. And there's an interesting story in Luke 17. I want to read it to you. We don't have it on the board, but I want to read it to you. And it says, while he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village. Ten leprous men stood at a distance and met him. And they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. What wonderful words. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give glory except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. <clears throat> your faith, your faith has made you well. This man was cleansed. I don't know uh, if you've met lepers, but in our work in remote villages and remote places, We've spent time with lepers. I remember vividly the first time I hugged a leper. It was a very emotional time for me. They're never touched. They're always dis discarded. They're always kept at distance. They don't have human contact. And they live the most horrific lives. Today in India, India has declared leprosy is eradicated. And the post note on that is only 100,000 people are infected every year. 100,000 new cases of leprosy, but their advertisement is leprosy's been cured. And this man, when he was healed, he came and he ran back to thank Jesus who changed his life. And you guys, we are to lift our lives when God blesses us, when God touches us, when God meets us. It's appropriate in times of blessing and answered prayer to lift our eyes to him and to thank him. 
The second time is in the worst of times. And all of us go through the worst of times in our lives. Psalm 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. I will lift my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I will lift my eyes. I'll look to him in my worst of times. I will look to him when there are no answers. I'll look to them to him when it's impossible. He will be my everything in the worst of times. And we have a wonderful family, a couple. Uh, this is a picture of Floyd and Sally McClung. Dear friends of ours, leaders in youth with a mission for many, many years. He was, our na- he was our international director for many years. Two and a half years ago, Floyd suffered a massive stroke. Totally paralyzed on one side and left in a catatonic, semi-comatose state His wife can tell when he's awake and asleep, but he's unable to communicate. He can't say anything. He can only lift one arm. He can lift his right arm. And it's really interesting because during prayer, they do prayer and they do worship almost every day in his uh, hospital room. And as they worship the Lord, many times he'll lift his one arm. He's in a semi-comatose state, but he's thanking God for God's faithfulness in the worst of places. The only other response that he can give to anything is when uh, people come that he knows, sometimes he will smile, and there are times during worship when sometimes he'll weep. And his wife has been left with a husband who was, he's a giant of a man, he's six feet seven inches tall, He is a mountain of a man, mighty man of God, who is now locked in a prison of being semi-comatose. And at the same time that Floyd suffered the stroke, Sally found out that for the second time she was facing massive cancer in her body. And so while she was trying to take care of Floyd, she was battling massive chemotherapy where they would bring her with chemotherapy right to the edge of death and then back off enough so that she didn't die. And then they would bring her to that place again over and over during the time of her treatment while she's trying to care for her husband who's had this massive stroke. Sally writes a blog. And there are times I read her blog and I want to weep because she doesn't bemoan her condition. She doesn't bemoan where Floyd is. She talks about the faithfulness of God. She's brutally honest with her struggles and her fears and all of those things, but she always comes back to talk about the faithfulness of God. See, she's learned in the worst of times, she's going to fix her eyes on Jesus. Oh, you guys, uh, the blog is Floyd, Prayer for Floyd and Sally McClung. Go on Facebook and look it up. I want to tell you something. If, you know, we get so overwhelmed with our little problems 
and they become mountains to us. I'm going to tell you something. Their mountains have become little problems because they made Jesus their mountain. Our mountains disappear when we fix our eyes on him. In the worst of times, uh, we as a family, we're committed to orphans. I want you to know we found out very early on orphan ministry is warfare. You better, if you're going to be involved in orphan ministry, you better be ready for warfare. Uh, we believe and we minister in foster care, in orphanages, to children at need around the world. And in addition to that, Jan and I adopted our youngest son. We had two biological children. And then God grabbed our hearts and we adopted our youngest son. It was warfare for 16 months for us to be able to adopt him. And it's interesting because our, all three of our kids, our biological and our adopted son, growing up in a family with an adopted sibling, they all ended up saying, we want to adopt too. And so our, our daughter Patty is here, and Patty and Bruce were here a, a few months ago. I don't know what the date was, but not very, very long ago. They came, and with her is a young lady uh, named Amanda. I think Amanda's about 12 here. I met, Jan and I met Amanda the first time when she was two. And we fell in love, and Patty and Bruce fell in love with her. And they uh, were working with a man in India who uh, supposedly worked on adoptions. And so we met her in an orphanage that we supported. And this guy came to Patty and Bruce and said, you know what, I want to do your adoption here in India. So he gave them over a period of four years a list of all the things they need to do. You need to fill out this paperwork and this paperwork and this paperwork. You need to send in these reports. And he, they sent it all in. And at the end of four years, they were preparing to go and they left for India to finalize the adoption and pick up their little girl. And when they arrived in India, he sat down with them. He was very embarrassed. And he said, I have to confess something to you. And they said, what? And he said, I need to tell you that I've been lying to you for four years. And all of that paperwork that you filled in, all of those countless hours you spent preparing, none of it was turned in because she's not adoptable. Can you imagine the heartbreak, the horror? My daughter called me and she said, Dad, what do we do? She's not adoptable. He's lied for four years. She's weeping on the phone. We're heartbroken. We're torn apart. We were ready to have a new granddaughter. And Patty said, Dad, I feel like I'm supposed to go to that Hindu orphanage. I said, really? She said, yes. And the Hindu orphanage she's talking about is a year and a half before then, <clears throat> I was in India visiting our orphanages, and <clears throat> we were in the city of Pune, and uh, I really felt that we, were, that we had a lot of people who said we're interested in adoption, and we thought that maybe there was, we knew of a Hindu orphanage, maybe we could go to that Hindu orphanage and see if any of the children were adoptable. And we're sitting down with this Hindu orphanage director, and just to ease your minds, no, we do not support Hindu orphanages, all right? Uh, all of our orphanages give the kids Jesus. 
But we were there because we really felt like God said to do it. And sitting there, uh, I'm just conversing with this man. Jan is there. Patty is there. And I felt like the Lord's whispered into my heart, give him $500. And of course, my first response was, God, are you aware that he is Hindu? Of course, God was aware, okay? I was not giving him new news. And God said, I still want you to give him $500. I'm like, God? And he said, work. Okay, yes. Reached in, got $500, gave him the $500, said, this is for you in your work here at this home. Had a good time. We left, and I was baffled. Roll forward a year and a half. When Patty is weeping on the phone, and she said, Dad, I feel I'm to go to that Hindu orphanage. I said, really? And she said, yes, I feel like God's speaking to me. We're going to adopt an Indian child, and I I wonder if that's not part of it. So she goes to this Hindu orphanage, meets with the orphanage director, and says to him, I was here a year and a half ago with my mom and dad, and my dad gave you a gift. And he went, oh, yes, I remember you. My daughter said, do you do orphanages, international, or, uh, do you do international adoptions? And he said, oh, yes, we just got our international license, and we can place kids all over the world. And my daughter said, do you, uh, can you adopt children into America? Oh, yes. And she said, can I adopt from this orphanage? And he said, uh, absolutely, yes. And he said, wait here, I'm going to go start bringing babies for you to look at. And he went back into the nursery area and came back with a little dying baby girl. And he placed this little dying baby girl in my daughter's arms. And she said on the phone to me later, she said, Dad, I held this little girl and I knew because she was dying that if I said no, she would die. And she said, but I knew in my heart that was not my daughter. And she handed the little girl back, and she said, this isn't my daughter. Are there others? He said, oh, yes, we've got a lot. And he brought back a little dying baby girl. She had burst eardrums. She had pneumonia. She had hepatitis A. She was just on the verge of dying. And my daughter said, he laid her in my arms, and I knew that was my girl. And here's a picture of Sarah my Indian granddaughter, 15 years later, in the worst of times, we could raise our eyes and say, God, you're faithful. And little Sarah became our granddaughter. She, her, uh, she's an amazing young lady. I just can't even begin to explain who she is in God. And it's been a blessing in our home. Our oldest son, Eric, and his wife, Eric and Charlene uh, decided that they would adopt as well. They uh, worked through an agency to adopt little Makia in Ethiopia. Can I just say Ethiopian babies are the prettiest babies in the world? I'm sorry, they are. <laughs> and they fell in love with Makia. They kept getting reports and photos, and we fell in love. And they were getting ready to fly to Ethiopia to pick her up. And they got a message from the agency in Seattle. And the agency said this, Makia and two other babies have just been kidnapped from the orphanage. 
And there is no word, and we doubt that she will ever be found. And she never was. And so they shifted. The agency put them at the front of the line again. They worked for another year, and little Carissa became our granddaughter. This girl is funny. She is delightful. She is the child of a thousand faces. She does African dance, and I can assure you, we did not teach her that. <laughs> when I dance in Africa, they laugh. But she can dance. And I am like, what an amazing God we serve. In the worst of times, we find our help in him. And then I want to show you finally, our youngest son, Mike, has two little foster two adopt girls in Los Angeles. Mike and Emily received Casey, the, the one on the right. Casey is four years old. They got her when she was two weeks old. They have fought with the county and the state and the paperwork and the mountain of we don't care. And they have been in the worst of times for four years over this little girl and they found out this last week that her final adoption paper has been delivered to Sacramento, California. And within two months, she will be adopted into our family. And her full sibling, little Daisy, on the left. They didn't know about little Daisy until social services called and said, now you're adopting uh, one girl, but her full sister is now available for Foster to adopt. Are you interested? Mike called me and said, they've given me 24 hours. I said, and? And he said, well, I'm just going to let her come and we'll hold it lightly because we don't know if she's adoptable. I said, Michael Neese, there is no way you're not going to fall in love. I, I'll be strong, Dad. <laughs> the day he got her, I got a phone call. I'm goner. I love her. Mike and Emily want to adopt several children. They want to adopt two Asian children. I'm so grateful for that. We need some more color in our family, and so that's great. He said, I want to adopt two children. The first one, I want to name her Chai. For you see, our last name is Niece, and she will become Chinese. And he said, I want to name the second one, Japa. <laughs> and we want an African child from Sudan. I'm going to name them Suda, niece. He is a very demented young man. <laughs> you guys, we've walked through the worst of times. And we found the grace of God as we've lifted our eyes to him. And then the third place where we lift our eyes is when God calls us to see what he sees. When God calls us to have a vision of what he sees. John 4, 35 says this, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are white unto harvest. 
Uh, I want to show you a picture of a dear friend of ours. Uh, His name is J.D. Wilson. He's a man who got saved, radically saved, and he went to God and he said, God, I will go anywhere. I will do anything. I will serve you in any way that you choose. I only ask one thing. God, please do not make me work with people who are HIV positive. Be careful what you pray. And God began to work in his heart and life and said, Wilson, I want you to work among people who are HIV positive. And so he gathered up a team. He started ministering to people with AIDS, people who are HIV positive. And then he heard about the AIDS hospital in southeastern India. I want to tell you, I've been there. There's no more horrific place on earth than the AIDS hospital there. You see, the hospital provides no food, no bedding, no care, no clothing. If a a person does not have a family member to care for them in the hospital, they die through lack of food and lack of care. And for many of those patients, once they are deemed to be HIV positive and to have AIDS, the family abandoned them and they are left to die in this hospital, dying, dying, dying. And he went in to the administrator and he said, you know what? We have a heart for people with AIDS. We want to come and serve those people, the ones that have nobody. And the administrator asked a question and he asked Wilson, he said, I have a question. Are you a Christian? And Wilson said, yes, we're doing this because we love Jesus. And he said, this is a Hindu hospital. You're not allowed in. And Wilson said, we'll do anything. And the administrator said, anything? And he said, yes, we'll do anything. He said, good, there are three things I want you to do. You can't work with patients, but I'll tell you three things you can do. Number one, our yards are overgrown with brush and bramble, and they're, they're horrific. And if you will come in and you will clean all of our property and make it beautiful, I'll let you do that. Wilson said, I can do that. He said, there's a second thing I want you to do. There's a farmer nearby who has wild pigs and he turns them loose and they run through the hospital and they defecate on the floors, they make a mess on the floors and they eat everything on the floors including bandages from the HIV patients. And he said, I want you to drive out the pigs. Wilson said, we can do that. He said, the third thing We can't get anyone to clean our sewers. They have open sewers that flow out of the AIDS hospital. And they said, we can't get anyone to clean our sewers. They get clogged. And he said, if you will clean the sewers, we'll let you come into the hospital and do that. And for two years, they cleaned brush, they drove out pigs, and they cleaned sewers. And at the end of that two years, the administrator sent a message, said, Wilson, I need to see you in my office. And Wilson went in, and he said, yes, what is it? He said, I've never met people like you in my life. You've cleaned the brush. You drove out the pigs. We don't have a pig problem anymore. You've cleaned sewers, and you've done it because you love. He said, I want you to know I trust you 
with the lives of the patients in this hospital. Every ward is open to you. You can go in and you can share anything you want to. And they went throughout that hospital and began ministering to those who were abandoned. And he, they shared with them the love of Jesus. And the last that I heard, over 1,000 AIDS patients came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. See, you don't have to be great to do mighty things in God. You just have to lift your eyes and be obedient. God's not looking for greatness. You see, he is the one who is great. And he is simply looking for us to be obedient so that he might be great through our lives. There's another group that I want to talk about. It's a crazy group in Junction City, Oregon called Christ Center. <laughs> They've sent missionaries around the world. They've sent teams around the world. They've sent students to DTSs and missions training all over the world. Uh, we've been, my daughter, Patty, that you saw her picture, their ministry is in Wiley, Texas, about 40 minutes from us. And there's an amazing young lady in there on their staff named Misty Sutton. You guys know Misty. You got to know Misty. Misty is an amazing young lady. Misty went with us in October to Uganda with the Viking women. She did video and she did photography and they came home and put together a lot of projects that we now use to be able to share about the ministry of Streams of Mercy. You guys, she's a gift from your congregation to the world to bring Jesus. You've done that for many, many years. I look at your, and I read reports of your foster families. You guys are my heroes. Just like adoption, fostering is warfare, sometimes warfare beyond description. But you guys have lifted your eyes and you have seen the needy of this world. God's given you a vision of how you can make a difference and I'm so grateful for that. Now, there's a crazy, crazy couple named Wick and Jan Neese. We had been in YWAM for 29 years, and God whispered into our hearts during a time of seeking him, God said, change is coming. And we were like, okay, God, what is that change? And it was silent. God's silence does not mean his disapproval. God's silence is often so that we might become more desperate for him and we might look to him to see what he sees. And Jan and I made a commitment. We would get up at 5.30 in the morning and we would walk and pray and seek God. And we walked and prayed for a month, two months, three months, five months. We walked and prayed for one year and the heavens were silent. And we talked together and we said to God, God, you have said change and we want you to know we will never get up, give up until you tell us what that change is. 
And we sought God and we prayed. And for one solid year, walking and praying, 5.30 in the morning, and at the end of that year, I was having a quiet time and I said to the Lord, God, what is it? What's the change? And God spoke to me and he said, Wick, what is in your heart? And that was a strange question. And I said, God, I don't have anything in my heart other than at this point in my life, after the last year of laying everything down, all I want is the will of God. And God again said, Wick, what's in your heart? And I said, I don't know, God. He said, Wick, what's in your heart? And I paused because I know that God never asks questions to get information. <laughs> he already has all the information. God often asks questions to bring us to his conclusions. And so I said, I don't know. And I paused and I said, God, what is in my heart? And suddenly I felt this. <laughs> it was almost like an explosion in my heart. And I, I felt it rising up through my throat, and I said the word, orphans. And then I said, where did that come from? <laughs> and I suddenly realized there was something deep in my heart I never even knew. And it was God's heart for orphans. And when I said that word, God said, yes, Wick. It's orphans. And I want you to start a ministry to orphans that he gave me a detailed outline of everything that we are doing today in one download from heaven. God said, you're going to start a ministry to orphans. You're going to call it Streams of Mercy. You're going you're to support orphanages around the world. God gave me a number, 100 orphanages. We're at 31. I'm tired. <laughs> but the exciting thing is, God's not. The Bible says those that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. We're going to reach 100 orphanages and support 100 orphanages. We're at 5,000 kids. I don't know what the number is going to be. Let it be whatever number is on the heart of God. 10, 15, 20, 50. I don't care what the number is because the number doesn't depend on Wiccan Janice. That number is what's in the heart of God. And once we lifted our eyes and we saw what God sees, I'm reminded of that scripture that, uh, put it back on that scripture in John 4:35 again. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift your eyes and look unto the fields for they are white unto the harvest. We, we lift our eyes in times of blessing and answered prayer. We lift our eyes in the worst of times. And then we lift our eyes when God calls us to see what he sees. Will you lift up your eyes to see God's field for you? There are some in this room this morning who have never lifted your eyes to see what God sees. I want to tell you it's the most life-changing experience you will ever have. Once you see what God sees, you can never be the same. You can't live just an ordinary life because we are now seeing through the eyes of an extraordinary God. 
There's some in this room who have never seen what God sees, and I want to pray for you this morning. Are you someone who's never seen what God sees? You've never lifted your eyes to the white fields of harvest. If you're in that place, would you stand? I want to pray for you this morning that God will show you your field. That God will show you what he sees. Go ahead, you guys. If you have not ever heard God, would you stand and let God show you his field? I believe he wants to break hearts today. He wants to change your life. He wants you to see what he sees. And I'm here to tell you, it's really, really, really good. It's really, really hard. But it's really, really good. Let me pray for you. Father, for each one standing, I pray for them today. And I say, God, will you help them as they lift their eyes to the fields, that they will see the white fields of harvest, the things that you see, the lost, the needy, the orphan, the abandoned, the widow, the person who needs to find you as their personal Savior. Lord Jesus, would you show them their fields? Would you show them what you see? And then, Lord God, in your faithfulness, would you equip them to change that field for Christ? Would you enable them to transform this world for Jesus? Because the touch of God is on their lives. Lord, I believe you to do that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. That's a great word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Wick. Come on. How many of you received that for yourself? Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Well, as is our custom, we want to make an opportunity to take a love offering for, for Wick and Jan. So the, uh, the ushers are going to come and just give according to what you purpose in your heart, not under compulsion, but cheerfully between you and the Lord. And uh, that was a great word. We love you guys. We're excited. Go ahead. You guys can pass. We're excited about uh, what God's doing. And it's just been so fun to be partnered with Wick and Jan. And um, so uh, also at some point, if you want to travel and go see what we're doing, let us know because uh, WIC does take teams and it'll change your life. So that's something that's an open opportunity for any of you that feel like, man, I want to go and see some of the work that we're a part of. So uh, maybe that's your field right there. Start a whole new thing. Uh, lastly, I'd like to, I would like to uh, make you aware of, uh, there's a table in back. There's a beautiful and brilliant young lady, my daughter Autumn, who is uh, manning the table over here. It's right in the back, and that is Hope's Gates Jewelry and the ministry that, uh, that Wick mentioned, um, the YWAM in, in, uh, in Wiley. They work with children, they rescue them from trafficking, and then they give them, uh, they train them in different um, uh, different arts, and so they make jewelry. Um, they they do some uh, some sewing, and so these are made by um, by young ladies uh, who have been rescued from trafficking. And then this is a viable way to make income, so they no longer have to sell themselves. They can sell some of the gifts that God's given them. So wonderful way to support um, hopes. 
gate. So uh, we, I just want to make you aware of that on your way out today. Uh, the prayer servant team is coming forward. So why don't you guys, prayer servant team, come on and hop up and head to the front. If you need prayer today, if you need encouragement, if you need a word of knowledge perhaps, come and get some prayer. In the meantime, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you shalom. Love you guys.